Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like a Dell. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man. Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 149. I am, as always, Big Cello. All right, D, you're going to go silent <laughs> that on that one? That was the weirdest intro of all time. Well, uh, I'm in a hurricane right now. I'm, my life is being <laughs> affected. I can't let you keep saying that. I'm not even going to let you say it on air. This is the third time you said it today. Uh, I, listeners, tip me donations in case my roof flies away. I will put my Bitcoin address. He literally says before we started fund. recording that this hurricane is going to kill all his plants in his backyard. He has the, has the inconvenience of going to Home Depot and paying 50 bucks for new plants. Yeah. Yeah. One, let me tell you something. Jello is about 370 miles from the, from the coast in Texas. So let me tell you... What you're not going through, and that's I'm a hurricane. So, and that's a get. If I'm close on that, like I will feel great because it's like a four hour drive from the coast. So I'm just like guessing, like it's 370 miles. Uh, I'm looking out my window, and trees are bending. Okay, it's I mean, real. It's, it's certainly affecting Austin and Colleen and Temple. Don't downplay my crisis, Steve. It's not. It's advisory at this point around those. Let me. Okay, it's so much of a crisis that you get to do a podcast during it, but some people are literally losing their house right now. I am dedicated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Anyways, host I'm host two. number two, D, or, oh. or should I say Big D, coming at you as always. Yeah. Host number three, Big P. Coming at you every time. <laughs> All right, anyway. I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about something. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to save it for a blog post, but I wanted to talk about Mr. Schiff we on can talk Rogan. About it. That's fine. We can talk about it here. here I didn't me, hear about it, but everybody went crazy about him. What What was the big deal with this one? Well, do you do you know about him? Like, is like about him? Yeah, about him? He's a gold bug who slicks his hair back. Yeah. Well, that, that's my uh, – I know Corey's going to dive deeper into it, but I did some digging, and it's it's I got that same conclusion. Because he sells gold products, I think he sees Bitcoin as a threat to his business because if, if you're buying Bitcoin, you're probably not buying gold from him. So it's in his interest that you buy gold from him, give him your money instead of buying Bitcoin because he – for like a short time, he accepted Bitcoin – on his website through BitPay. Still does. And does he? And what? he liked it because he was getting the money. But as much as he preaches about being like a libertarian and how the government doesn't have the right 
to print monies. You know, he has a really confusing stance because I don't know. He's like my dad. He's old finance. And most people are resistant to change and fear new ideas, even if new ideas are new in application, but old in theory. So I think he's irrelevant and his business model is what he preaches. And that's why I don't like him or that interview. Well, mm. it seemed as though, like, I've listened to that interview. He was on Joe Rogan, for those who are more curious, recent Joe Rogans. At the very end of it, he talks a lot about um, whether or not cryptocurrencies will survive. And he thinks fundamentally they're going to go to zero in the next few years because they can't work because they're not backed by anything. That talks about, you know, things need to be backed by gold because he's a gold bug, sells a bunch of gold. And a lot of the reasons that he says Bitcoin can't work, and he uses Bitcoin as the kind of the vehicle for a lot of this stuff, like the placeholder name for cryptocurrencies. He says a bunch of reasons on why it can't work and then lauds the idea of goldmoney.com and how he can spend his gold. Like he attaches a digital token through goldmoney.com to some amount of gold in a vault. And you can trade those tokens. And spend those tokens on a credit card, like I can just I can just spend it right here. And then like it's, he doesn't realize that you can do all of the things that he loves this token card for, or this this gold money card, for. And then he says, for those exact same reasons, like when you, when you sell Bitcoin and you when you use Bitcoin with somebody, you have to go through BitPay. So you sell your Bitcoin for cash, and that's that's a waste of time. And. Like through BitPay. So you have to have all these extra services in order to use your Bitcoin. You're not even actually using your Bitcoin. You're selling it, which is 100% wrong. Uh, but then he talks about how um, if you if you have this gold card for goldmoney.com, I can, I can use that. Even if the seller doesn't want gold, I can just use the gold card like a regular debit card, which is the exact same process that you're using with something like a shift card or a token card or something like that. But at least on our side, we're backed by a real network of people and not a company called goldmoney.com doing it types of stuff, holding on to your things. Like the digital asset created on goldmoney.com is not secured by a decentralized network where it's controlled by somebody. Goldmoney.com controls all that stuff. And it, like it's the most hypocritical argument I've ever heard in my entire life. And you can tell because like you can tell where the motivation is because he gets a bunch of money from goldmoney.com. He's a gold bug. He doesn't understand the idea of what a, a blockchain network, an open and trustless blockchain network does and how it works. You want to know thinks, why I think... Well, he also thinks that like Bitcoin was created specifically to just try and recreate gold. Like that was the, that was the idea in mind. Like people don't quite understand that like there may have been ideolo ideological reasons for creating these things, but the real innovation is we created a a we solved a computational problem, the double spending problem, through a lot of really innovative cryptography and incentives, which all work together to to allow you to send something online, send a digital item online, and know that someone else doesn't have access to it when they send it to you. You know, like the old, I guess, analogy I used previously. Like the internet, you can send information but not know that the other person doesn't have it. In an open blockchain network, you can send someone a token or a piece of information and know that the other person doesn't have access to it anymore. Like, 
that you can use money on top of something like that. That's cool. And he doesn't get that. So he just thinks it's it's a, it's a gold. And since it's a kind of made up funny money, because he doesn't understand how the actual infrastructure works, he places everything after that because he understands gold. So he stays with it. It was it was it was maddening. Gold was only um, really formed to fight inflation, right? Like that's it's it. Good, it's a good storage of value. I mean, it's it's no, it's a storage of value. It has it has utility, but that's not why people are investing in it. Has it has a lot of utility, but like you said, like you just said, that's not why. But I I'm I'm back at cello, or you didn't really have a stance on shift. You were talking about the awesomeness of Bitcoin. That I, goes into what I'm I about did have to a say. stance on shift. Go ahead. Is that? It it just sounded like you were talking about. Like how the awesomeness of Bitcoin and what he doesn't know about Bitcoin. Yeah, so he bases all his conclusions on 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 false assumptions. So all, everything, his entire stance is just based on false assumptions. He was comparing Bitcoin to the way alchemists in like the medieval times were trying to make gold out of bunk metal, and he says that's the equivalent of what we're trying to do: well, create he, value in a bunk metal. He literally says it's not going to work for these specific reasons. He states a few reasons, and then he, and then he talks about how awesome goldmoney.com is for the exact same <laughs> reasons. Like if you listen to it, it's like what you just you literally you you just said that's why cryptocurrencies can't work, and then say gold is awesome because this goldmoney.com service on top of gold does those exact same things. Mm. Well, well, I didn't hear the interview. I agree with Cello because when I have heard him talk in the back, I've listened to his podcast. I've listened to him have arguments with Max Kaiser. I've listened to him um, give interviews on Bitcoin. It seems to me like it's kind of like that old politician, right? Like whenever they have no value to add, they just try to shit on something else. You know, like that's that's what politicians do is like if somebody when somebody asks a politician like a very common question. Like, hey, why did you say or do this dumb shit? And they're like, whoa, look what this other thing did. Look at the other thing. The other thing does dumb shit too. Like, he just, he has no defense of why he's so into gold. And now Bitcoin is really taking, going to just destroy Bitcoin. I think so many gold bugs are going to move into Bitcoin so fast that he's just going to be that guy who has slicked back hair because nobody's going to care about gold anymore. And so he's invested so much time and money and effort into gold that at now at this point, it's not advantageous to him to like Bitcoin. Like his pocketbooks are being affected by Bitcoin. He sees that. So now he's hypocritical and now he's doing irrational things. And that's just what we're left with. But what he doesn't know is that if anything... Bitcoin's a deflationary currency, and he should be actually touting Bitcoin. If anything, he should be touting the shit out of it because all it does is introduce people to a line of thinking that agrees with how gold works. And that's only going to increase his bottom line. But he's stupid, and he doesn't understand people. So what he should be doing is saying, yeah, Bitcoin's actually really awesome. And it, it fits right along with the narrative of a currency that can hedge against how uh, the U.S. dollar works, 
and it encourages saving and it does this and it does that just like gold so what's that gonna do a bunch of people are gonna be like well let me go check this bitcoin thing out and then they're gonna get some bitcoin and then the next step they're gonna do is like well whoa i can go straight from bitcoin to gold or why not have some gold just like i did because i have some gold randomly because i first got into bitcoin and then boltoro.com like oh, let me get some gold why not you're breaking up dude um, yeah you're breaking up and you hear, did you hear that no we heard nope. we heard your matrix voice again how long was i breaking up for seconds that whole thought <laughs> not the whole thing well, no. After the moment you said Voltoro was the moment you went into the Matrix. Oh, okay. Well, uh oh. Maybe somebody's listening now. But anyways, I was gonna say that he's really he's dropping a ball, missing an opportunity. If anything, he should be touting Bitcoin because it would increase traffic to gold. All right. When you when you're unwrapping somebody, D, do you ever recommend Bitcoin to protect? the purchasing power against the decline of the U.S. dollar like you would gold? Or is that yeah. not yeah. you do? Yeah, every once in a while. It depends on how the conversation goes. So a lot of the on-ramps, I am leading the conversation. That makes sense. So, so if you are... Like, go ahead. You realize that if like if it's, if it's that's the case, um, when the, if, like, if the U.S. dollar crashes and... Bitcoin maintains its value, its utility value. So people start, you know, putting their money into it. The price of a single Bitcoin will, will skyrocket. But who cares? Yeah. Because no one wants to use dollars. Exactly. Like that, that the metric that we use to judge Bitcoin's success, which is which is dumb. It all puts us in the idea of being U.S. dollar maximalists because we only look at the price of Bitcoin. Means that in the in in the event of the U.S. dollar crashing the price of bitcoin skyrockets in in terms of the u.s dollar but the utility of bitcoin remains the same or lessens because no one wants to use u.s dollars or accept them it's, yeah I, mean, I guess it would mean the success if everyone's throwing their money into it but you still have to have underlying utility you need to be able to send receive accept bitcoin across the globe for goods and services well, if you Otherwise, still write a blog post about it to flesh out your ideas, you know, I could still promote that. I think it's a good, probably, it'll be a good read. I have to go back and take take notes. We should write blog posts where we interview each other. Like long forum blog posts where like, Cello, you ask a question and then me and Corey answer it throughout the week. And Corey, you ask a question and that that's our blog post. It's like a week long of us back and forth answering each other's questions. I'm just thinking cool. out loud here. More time. Dude, that's not you... even work. We talk all the time. That's just us recording it and putting it on a blog. Okay. I don't well, want to get you. Let's work for you to talk to us, Corey. How often do we actually talk? We talk in the Slack. We never actually yeah, have like, like real day. hard arguments. We just talk about bullshit. We used to talk. Well, we used to have hard arguments all the time, but you don't anymore. The good old days when we had a lot of we time. 
Yeah, I have a lot of good friends that I don't talk to ever because they're not in our <laughs> Slack. The yeah, Slack gives me an opportunity to talk to you guys. For sure. I'm going to start telling my friends and family to join the Slack. Dude, my mom's in there. My wife's in there. A lot of my friends are in there. You think, I, I've been doing that. <laughs> does your mom, like, does she pop in once a day probably? Think? No. Maybe, oh, okay. maybe, like, she's been there twice. Should I should I at her and put her notifications on so she feels important? Sure. Yeah, yeah man. Say, hey, how's it going, Corey's mom? Got any she new wants, recipes? She wants That's to run right. our storefront, so we can use her for that. Oh, man. That would be so awesome. Like, sweet Corey's mom. We need to, we need to like... My mom's a business boss. Like she's been, she's been in like a business executive working for banks her whole life. Now she's retired. Like, <laughs> is there a slogan? This shit ain't petty. <laughs> but it is though. I don't know why I laugh so hard at that. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work because walks, it is petty. <laughs> walks out of a business meeting and this shit ain't petty. Here's my email, gentlemen, and closes the door. It's not a sitcom on UPN, man. Yeah, I was about to say, what? Dude, that's how life works, bro. That's how the, those things really happen. I will say oh, that yeah. your show, Marlon, how did, how did that get approved in 2017? Well, I don't want to get into that. Um, uh, I will say that Black Mirror is amazing. Perhaps it took you this long to watch it. I think he just discovered it. I discovered it uh, last week, sir. Awesome. So, <laughs> I binged watched it in like a day. How man? I, I can only take one or two episodes without. I was really sad. I was out. really sad yeah. after that day. But I get really it's sad. It's, it's very well done. <laughs> I get. See, that's the thing. I'm. I kind of. I guess I'm morbid. Is that dark? Dark. Um, anything actually makes me happy. Like I appreciate the human element of the darkness because it's like even in a world where all this technology is like is like just profound tech we're still human and there's still going to be really human shit that we deal with and so the fact that they add that element in there i think is amazing it's an amazing well, was, show it's not an element that's the point of the show the whole premise yeah, of that show is to show the human element in 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 the direction of new technology and how it could have negative consequences that no one talks about because in the end of the day we're all still humans. I mean, all of the problems with Bitcoin, majority of them are because it's humans are using it. Yeah. Orange. You should change your bio to I binge watch Black Mirror and it would say everything we need to know about you. <laughs> <laughs> I binge watch the sad shows. Know about it. <laughs> know about it. After I, I watch Black that's Mirror, my resume. Then I go straight into True Detective. Is that my resume? <laughs> that's my resume. Yeah. When I turn it in, I binge watch You're Black hired. Mirror. That's all you need to know. Yeah. So when the company asks you that question, like, what do you, what kind of value sense. do you think you can add to this company? Like, did you not see? Anyways, um, you got some ads, ads to do, right? Just some ads, man. Uh, all right. Today we're brought to you by te- uh, Tekken Seven. Tekken Seven is a game. Uh, where you can pick your favorite martial artist. You shut up. Um, like Eddie Gordo and um, Yoshi Mitsu. <laughs> and uh, you can fight. 
but they just added this brand new feature um, where you can fight online. That's brand new, right, Jello? I think it's been around since like Tekken 2. Okay, so <laughs> we definitely got that part wrong. But uh, it's got Dolby Digital surround sound and remote play. This is play. why Dimitri does not do advertisements. On your PS4 with over this 35 is how it is the real advertisements. Oh, yeah. ATM. Cello is always so upset whenever Cello's not here and D has to do advertisements. He's like, come on, man. Go to Bandai. Uh, go to Bandai in Macoent.com and uh, get your free copy of Tekken 7. I should just pre record the ads from now on. I think you're right. Anything else, Steve? Are we brought to you by Ravioli? We're brought to you by Oscar Mayer. We're brought to you by... All right, go ahead. All right, uh, 149 is brought to you by Athena Bitcoin, the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. Uh, They're located uh, probably in this hurricane. (laughs) Yeah, they're probably somewhere getting... uh, It's probably one Athena Bitcoin getting just destroyed right now. Destroyed, yeah. So uh, show your loyalty and be safe, but try to use that ATM and take a picture. <laughs> yeah, don't don't. We did not. Don't do we that. Did not okay. try and make people do that. No, uh, don't do that. Please find, be safe because I'm in it too, so I can feel your pain. I'm in this hurricane. All right. Also, you can download the Athena Bitcoin Wallet on the App Store or Google Play uh, for specific locations. AthenaBitcoin.com. We're also brought to you by their portfolio company, BitQuick.co, which is the secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. They've been serving Bitcoiners since 2013, so where there's a bank, there's BitQuick. It's BitQuick. Get your bits quick. Yeah. Uh, by the time <laughs> this episode airs, uh, McGregor's going to lose, but... You can still use BetKing.io because they use their funds from their ICO to add a whole bunch of cool games like blackjack and roulette and uh, poker tournaments. And you can still sports bet because uh, the Canelo fight is next month. See, the current odds for Mayweather and McGregor on BetKing.io are 1.25 to 4.4 McGregor. So like Mayweather 1.25, McGregor 4.4. So. Yeah. I don't know. Make some I, money. We'll see how Can it goes. Can I say how much I... Are we done with ads yet? Or are you still no. going? Still going, bro. Oh, boy. You want me to finish? Just, like, list them off like I do. Well, I can't. Because there's a script. <laughs> Shit. All right, go. Keep going. Keep going. I got to say it. All right, so, uh, basically, l- listen. I'm going to be transparent. There's a lot of gambling Bitcoin websites out there. And I could have had my pick from any of them, but I picked BetKing because I think it's the best. So he learn just more went off it. the script to say that. But I'm about to get back on it. Or did he? Or did I? Like Dave Chappelle, uh, what, the soda that tastes the best is the one that's paying me. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Scrupulous. That's, that's your new nickname. Scrupulous. Yeah. <laughs> Sand DJ scruples. Scru- DJ <laughs> Um, I like BetKing though. I do. Uh, it's a great way to get in on uh, to make some money, man. Be a high roller. All the funds are held in cold storage. So head on over to BetKing.io. And last but not least, this ICO 
space is a circus. And access to expert legal and marketing help, it's challenging. You can't find it. So a successful ICO itself requires significant funds to embark on. So our next sponsor is ICO Box. They have ICO tokens that are going to allow their holders to vote for interesting projects, which is then applied to conduct their own ICOs using ICO Box's solution service. And it also allows them to buy the tokens of upvoted projects at a discount of 35%. So you're going to make a lot of money, maybe. There is risk, but it's minimum. (laughs) All right. Since project tokens can be swapped at any stage of their sale, even after it's over, provided they're still on the platform, you can make a lot of money and uh, take your time, make some informed decisions. There's a five-stage process. The best benefit is peace of mind, and they have a two-step screening system where they're going to review projects submitted for ICO by experts and token holders. So start that process. Head on over to icos.icobox.io. It's a tongue twister. It's your new reality. Yeah. Also... Don't forget to head on over to bandynamco.co.com <laughs> and get your free copy of Tekken 7. But, like, what I was going to say after that Bet King ad is there's one thing I generally don't like about 2017 in ads is things that don't look like ads but are ads. This is me off a little bit. Isn't, like, that, like, um, um, the, like, um, the, isn't that the way... Your marketing should be like people shouldn't know they're being marketed to. Well, yeah, when you put it like that, but I'm not a marketer. I'm just a dude. It's so like when like, you watch a movie and someone's like drinking Mountain Dew. Do you subconsciously like I could go for a Mountain Dew right now? That's ad. That's an ad. Like no, when you're watching like all these like CSI shit or like any type of new technology movie, and it's just, like all the monitors just happen to be Dell. That's weird. That's an ad. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about on the internet, like, what I'm reading. And so, like, or just, like, fucking around on Facebook. And then, like, all of a sudden, like, on Thursday evening, I saw five different articles that were, like, doctors and scientists are saying someone could get really, really hurt in the Mayweather-McGregor fight. And I was like, what? No, they're not. No one's saying that. And I saw another one with the same title. Somebody's going to get hurt, 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 hurt. And I was like wow, they're really beefing this thing up. And so I click on it, and I'm reading this article, and I'm like, this is complete bullshit. Like, (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I'm like, they're really trying to, like, amp this up from all angles possible. Like, I just, it's annoying. So I just wanted to vent about. To be honest, you could could actually say in a thing, doctors are thinking that McGregor is going to win because I said McGregor's going to win. You can say whatever the hell you want. And that type of clickbait article could get clicks. And then like, you know, Corey Petty, a doctor in physics said that this on a podcast, this is bullshit, but you got clicks because someone clicked on it. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's clicks. That's trying to funnel people into watching this fight on Saturday. Like, Oh my God, I want to see somebody get their neck broke. According to Dr. Flubbity flu, like golly, What's the point of this? I just wanted to vent about advertising and how it feels dirty sometimes. What's not dirty? That being said, head on over to fucking Bandai. Uh, <laughs> Shut up. Bandai Namco. <laughs> For all your Gundam Voltron needs. What, uh, yeah. 
What is it, dirty advertising? Born. That's it? That's, I, I want to know That's something. That's all you got? That's all I got, really. I think it's not dirty advertising, even though it's ironic because it's porn. It's kind of dirty because it's porn. But I think it's not dirty advertising because it's very pure. It's like, here's some porn. You know, you want to watch it, click here to watch porn. That's not Hello? true. Have you ever watched porn when you didn't sit down to watch porn? You just fell into a rabbit hole of porn? I don't think I've ever fell into a porn rabbit hole. Oh, not, so you're the uh, guy maybe, that maybe. Like, lights the candles and gets ready and like, I know I'm about to do this. Well, I mean, yes, you got to yes, love yes. yourself. <laughs> you got you to gotta, you gotta love yourself as much as because ain't nobody else going to love you. You got to love yourself. That's so, sad. Yes, I do. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. That is not sad. I like. I Ain't nobody my else gonna love you. With but that's that's the sad part. Oh, that's deep though. Like that. I mean, you you. It's not like somebody else is buried in your coffin with you. Uh, if I say I'm my own best friend and you say that's sad, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think it's sad. I think it's. You, <laughs> I'm hosting a party like, oh, today. That's sad. Like you like your <laughs> like you like yourself, right? Like, what's so bad about liking yourself? I don't get it. But like uh, this, this guy binge watches Black Mirror. Yeah, jeez, Corey. Yep. <laughs> and then and then follows it up with True Detective. So I've, like, watched all, I've been watched all those. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are we doing next? We, we just have get so off track. We actually have an interview oh, today. Yeah. This one's cool because Corey actually really likes these people. Then you uh, invest some some time, money. I did. I did. After after the interview, I I I purchased some of their ICO tokens because I like what he's doing. I did too, and you sent me the link, and I like you, you sent doing. me your referral link, and I got some too. After uh... I think the oh, problem that they're trying to solve is a real problem that is really 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 large. So, and he states that we're probably not going to be the only person to do this. We're just going to be one of one of a few because. It's so large that we probably couldn't handle it all ourselves, and it, like it's it's basically like the key management and two factor authentication. Like the the problems around securing your private keys and understanding that you know attestation of transactions. Like yeah, sure, blockchains are secure, and you can't change transactions after they've been put into the blockchain, so on and so forth. Yeah, whatever. Like you still have a lot of issues with securing private keys. Um making sure that those who are sending transactions are actually coming from the person intended to send those transactions, like two-factor two factor authentication is supposed to help with at, attesting that the people who are doing the transactions are the right people and not just some person that stole your private keys. And that's the idea of this. That's, that, that's a big problem that people aren't spending a lot of time talking about because they're making so much money saying blockchain. I bought them tokens. That's for damn sure. Oh, oh, wait, wait. Hashtag, this is not investment advice. Hashtag, don't listen to us. Uh, that wasn't investment wait. advice. That was, that was, I guess, a disclaimer. Or, uh, like, what, what is it called when, like, the people who do journalism say, like, they're invested? Like, when you ever watch, you do really, like, a financial blog, like, the very end, it's like, I hold some of these tokens. Like, like in real small print. Or, like, I was paid to do uh, this. I wasn't, I like I wasn't paid to do this interview. But after the interview, I, I was like, we nice. Oh, he so gave like, us a I have token some... market gave us a donation 
to then entertain the idea of interviewing this guy, which we did. Now, that may be like mumbo-jumbo garbage for them saying, I'll give you some money if you interview this guy. But on our end, that was like, I'll take your money and then I'll vet whether or not I want to interview this guy. (laughs) That's very honest of you. Yeah. Hey, D, I bought some tokens. You did? Yeah. Cello, man. You're coming Oh, wait, no. I bought some arcade tokens so I could play some Namco Bandai games. Oh, good God. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Tekken 7, baby. Jeez, man. I thought you really went out and got some tokens. That hurt my feelings just now. I've been trying to... This is the weird thing about you, Jello, is that... What? Have you? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, I got to hear something that's weird about me. Wait, stop. What's weird about me? After after the interview, it's got to wait now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Suspense. You Audience, edge of your seat. You too, Cello. All right. Here it is. Bandai. Okay. Today I'm here with Steven Sprague from the Rivets platform. Uh, why don't you give us a quick introduction of kind of how you got into the space, um, where you got, got into blockchain, and then bring us along the lines of what you're doing now and and uh, we'll just kind of dig in from there. Certainly. Um, so, uh, Stephen Sprague, I've, uh, I, I'm CEO of Rivets. And uh, Rivets is a company that we started back in 2013, uh, really to go after um, supporting the embedded hardware security that's already within your phone, tablet, um, and now PC as well. And I, I come from a background of 20 years in the trusted computing space. I used to run a publicly traded company that was really at the forefront of helping to launch trusted computing. We were one of the founding board members of the original trusted computing group. Um, did a lot of uh, OEM work with Dell, Acer, Asus, Samsung, and others, um, as well as uh, did a lot of um, enterprise software for the drive industry in support of self-encrypting hard drives. Um, so I have a long history of working um, and and really helping to drive the adoption of trusted computing. Um, in 2013, I left to start um, Rivets because really it became clear that mobile was going to be the new platform that everybody was excited about to adopt these technologies. And uh, a development had taken place that made it possible for us to actually gain access to the hardware security within the chipsets. Um, and so today, Rivets has built an application that runs as a trusted app inside the what's called trusted execution environment in your ARM processor on your phone. Um, we uh, we use a partner to gain access to that platform, and today they've just finished, they've just shipped uh, their billionth copy of software. So um, there's quite a few phones that have this capability, all of Samsung, HTC, LG, and a bunch of others. And what we're able to do is run an application inside an isolated execution environment inside the chipset that enables us to both hide and process secrets from the operating system. And so we can run code that is hardware tamper resistant um, and should be software tamper proof from the operating system. Uh, And uh, we can do things like a full Bitcoin transaction all the way through to uh, where I think we'll really start in the market, which is... um, Strong two-factor authentication with enhanced cybersecurity controls, and we'll talk some more about that. Um, but that's uh, that's kind of Rivet's entry point into the market. That's that's a hell of an entry point, I'd say. I mean, it's taking advantage of these isolated um, uh, trusted execution architectures, like what's being built onto basically every 
piece of CPU that's being put into new machines these days between Intel and any ARM processor on a mobile or so on and so forth allows us to kind of add that extra layer of, um, would you say ease for the end user? Because I, I think what's kind of been the hallmark of most security experts is the fact that most people who use technology have zero idea on how to use the technology in a secure manner. Oh, I think that's very true. I think the, so, so the best way to explain kind of ease of use so the average listener can understand in a really simple way is everybody's been talking about multi-factor authentication and we have SMS codes with six digits on them. And we're going to talk about, you know, taking selfies and how you wave your phone around is going to log you in and all this kind of crazy stuff. It turns out the number one favorite mechanism for multi-factor authentication is hardware-based, and it's dial your phone number and push the send button. Hmm. And it's so integrated, you don't even understand that it's true two-factor authentication. And so it's a really interesting challenge to um, provide those levels of, of protection in such a way that it's so simple. And you have to be kind of old to remember when we were typing passwords for every long distance phone call back in the mid nineties. Um, but it was annoying because there was such fraud in your cell phone, um, from long distance caller theft, uh, which your phone number could be stolen by a radio antenna. And, and they went and put hardware security in all the handsets and it became simple. And if you look kind of at a chart from that industry, from that point in time, they went from 70 million fraud events in the mid nineties to, uh, basically zero. And uh, the value of the subscribers done nothing but go up every year since. So how does how does blockchain fit into this? What is the what is the underlying mechanism that kind of um, blockchain either helps you perform these these types of security enhancements, or are you or are you kind of helping the peripheral economy of dealing with a blockchain by increasing the security of the devices that interact with it? So it's so it's actually both. Um, we both use blockchain to help us deliver this capability, and this is a capability that would benefit blockchain. In 2014, I had just started Rivet. Uh, we, were, we were really kind of wandering around trying to figure out what we were doing with a brand new company. And a friend of mine said, um, you have to go to the Miami Bitcoin conference. Of course, I live in Western Massachusetts. It was like minus 25 degrees outside. And, <laughs> and the idea of spending the weekend in Miami was great. And actually, it was quite comical because it was exactly before um, the... NSA NIST cybersecurity conference, information assurance conference that year. And so I literally went to the Bitcoin conference and then flew from there to the NSA NIST conference, which was quite an entertaining hat change. But, um, but uh, from the moment I walked into the cocktail party at the Miami Bitcoin conference, it was absolutely crystal clear that this was something I'd been looking for for, for a decade, right? This is the back office that helps provide the key management and the infrastructure and the sharing of keys that the industry has wrestled with for 15 or 20 years. And PKI, the sort of public key infrastructure just hasn't satisfied. And so blockchain becomes a new mechanism for how the individual user are gonna manage their collection of keys. And, and I think that's the part that's really important to it is that when you mix these two technologies together, you get a much better solution. So the other thing that's important to know about blockchain is that if you look at an element on a blockchain, any piece of data written since the first data was written on a blockchain, the problem you have is that while you know it was written and you know it hasn't changed, you do not know whether it was intended 
And the reason you don't know whether it's intended is because you have no information about the cybersecurity controls or the protections of the private key. So was that key stolen? I don't know. Is it stored in Fort Knox? I don't know. There's no quality information bound into the blockchain that tells you about the quality of the key that was used to write it. And so therefore I cannot forensically prove that the data written on a chain was intended. I have to use existing legacy IT systems to do that. And that's really not what decentralized computing should be all about. I guess that depends on what people, like some people use the vehicle of blockchain as kind of the, the, it rings true to a lot of their political ideals of maintaining anonymous, things like that. So like at that cost, you basically can't say who did what with what, like that's kind of the, the trade-off they're making is in order to maintain that's that. That's not true. Entity. No. Okay. Then can, how, do you, how, do you, how do you change that? Right. So what we did as a transaction in October, where what we did on the chain was um, when we formed a wallet as part of the formation of a wallet, we did a health and integrity test of the device. And that health and integrity of test of the device produces a signature. So we bound that reference signature into the creation of the wallet and then required that a real-time signature be taken when you wanted to do a spend transaction. And we modified the script so that the real-time signature had to match the reference signature. And because now the reference signature was bound into the wallet transaction, you could prove if you had partnership with the owner of the device that this device in this condition with these controls produced that transaction. So if you look at the chain, all you see is a, is a random number. If you have participation of the owner, you can absolutely prove the cybersecurity controls of the device that were part of that chain. So you can achieve privacy um, and and anonymity to a, you know to a pretty strong extent, um, depending on how often you rewrite your uh, um, if if you don't rewrite your reference health on a consistent basis, then you can link transactions together. So that 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 but that's true across all of um, um, of blockchain. Um, mm-hmm. the, you provide a really powerful mechanism that is a bound cybersecurity control tested for the benefit of the owner of the platform. Who's the only person who cares? Does that then uh, basically link a wallet to a specific device? And if the loss of that device, you can't, you can't transfer the wallet. Cause right now the only thing that really matters is the number, which is the private key that you can put on anything. But if and that's exactly this... what you want to have happen is you want to bind you want to bind an identity to the device so that when you lose your device, you notice. Because right now, if you lose your keys, which I can do with most software hacks, mm-hmm. how do you know? You have no knowledge. And so the beauty of, you know, it's, backup and recovery is always an interesting challenge. And there's no question that it re- remains the same for with what we do. In many aspects, trusted computing provides some much simpler mechanisms for backup and recovery because if I have more than one device, my multiple devices can help me out with it. But um, but actually, the most powerful cybersecurity control we can have is the continuous human monitoring system, which is if I take your phone, you notice. And you not only do you notice, but you panic and you'll take action. On the other hand, if I steal all of your keys, like just recently happened to one of the Korean exchanges, you know, it can take days before you know that somebody's lost 30,000 accounts. I see. You find out because there's theft, right? The money goes missing. 
And after a few million dollars, somebody's like, hey, where's all the money? <laughs> right? this, this poses that's not when a, you want to know. This poses somewhat of a problem for me. I mean, I, maybe not for me, but for potential end user like kind of user experience is that right now, I mean, in a, because it is somewhat insecure, people can lo- basically load their private keys or their, their, their private seed onto many different devices and then manage their money across all of their devices, which seems, which allows us to kind of seem as though we're doing things in a very uh, server client model, but not, which allows us to use this decentralized mm-hmm. technology in a way that we're accustomed to based on the kind of the things clients, a client server model will give us. But if we then pin our wallet to a given device, we lose a lot of that functionality. Is there a way to maybe kind of no, do no, something? Don't think, of it, have... don't think of it that way at all. Okay. You just need four or five devices with trusted execution. Ah, okay. We're not we're not functioning anywhere other. All we're doing, we're not changing that model at all. All we're doing is keeping your keys safe. So today, if you have a software environment, and I get and I deploy a BIOS hack on your computer, I steal all your money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just you know, they're obviously less sophisticated attacks than a BIOS hack. But if I hack the BIOS of your machine, I own all your money. Because yes. if you do a transaction on that machine, I've stolen your private key. That, I don't care what wallet you're using. If it's done in software, I stole your private key. Absolutely. Okay. And so let's just be clear. Out of all the PCs on the planet today, while we put hardware security, it was my old job, there to measure the BIOS integrity of your machine, nobody checks it. Oh, absolutely not. No, no one ever is checking BIOSes on, on these things unless you're in the security industry. <laughs> That's right. But the beauty is you have chipsets on your PC that are checking the BIOS. You could build a wallet that did a BIOS integrity test and wouldn't launch the wallet unless your BIOS hadn't changed. That'd be simple to do. Truly simple to do. It's just a series of commands. But it still would be a good test to do. And so that's part of the challenge of this is, you know, we have this perception that our machines are safe because there's software on them. They're just not safe. Mm-hmm. Well, that's something that I've kind of had a problem with over the entire space in general is that we've, we've built and we've kind of ailed the security implications of what blockchain can do, but then we use it in a manner that's like completely insecure. Correct, because the human to blockchain interface is broken. That's what rivets and trusted computing is for. We improve the quality of the human to, to blockchain interface. It's, it's not about authentication. Authentication is too simplistic a model. You really should think of it as about in the context of secure instructions. How do I make the instruction that's sent safe? And, and if you look at the anatomy of an instruction, um, every consumer on the planet is familiar with it. If you've ever been to a retail store and you've ever shopped with a credit card, right? You don't use the amount that's shown on the, on the cash register. There's always a little payment terminal thing there. And that payment terminal has all the components. Secure display. So what you see is actually what you're going to be charged. Secure pin entry. Um, more so in Europe than in the U.S. because we adopted this secure signature thing, which actually isn't secure at all. Hmm. Um, a secure pin entry that assures that the user intent is collected. Protection of your private key. That's what's the little chip card on your your smart card is for. And then the fourth leg, which is mostly ignored, is some form of um, attestation or health test that all those previous three pieces are working correctly. In the case of the credit card industry, it's called PCI compliance. And, and so what that provides is formation of instruction. Oh, you know, it's like kind of like a treasure, 
right? Secure yep. display, secure pin entry, and isolated execution. So the fact that we now have that capability in a few hundred million phones where we have secure display called trusted user interface because the global banking industry knows that they need it in order to have secure transactions. So if we could have 100 million hardware-enabled um, trusted execution handsets as hardware wallets, that'd be cool. The minor detail that, for example, Intel shipped trusted display on every Ultrabook since 2009, I think, that had Intel graphics. Nobody turned it on. That's really fascinating. You can look I, this is Intel like Intel IPT technology, and it would actually make U.S. government identity secure for smart cards for identity and government. They didn't turn it on. So we have not thought through this concept that your device is there to help you. Humans do not form Bitcoin transactions. They never will. Nobody's doing it on math. They're like five Bitcoiners who could actually do the math by hand on a piece of paper and send an inst- and broadcast an instruction. Okay. Other than those five guys, the rest of us need a computer. Just assume your computer is run by the North Koreans. Now go do a Bitcoin transaction. Yeah, there's a lot of places that people don't even think about security vulnerabilities, or like things. And it's it's amazing. It's like when we first started this, I always was kind of curious: at what point are we going to be able to turn the devices that everyone carries around into something that we can use that's secure? And it's right. it's it hasn't really been an option until we've had these these uh, secure execution environments built into the actual hardware, and 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 so ahead. it's becoming possible, right? It's but it's been an it, it's also that the trusted computing group's been looking for the killer app, so it's a fascinating marriage between trusted computing, which is looking desperately for a killer app to put it all to use, and on the other end, blockchain, which is desperately hunting around for a better user interface. Because security is user interface. So let's let me ask you this question because I have somewhat of a problem with ICOs in general. What's the point of the token? Your rivet, like rivets token. Yeah, sure. Um, I I think actually um, the whole utility model and the context of utility, et cetera, is really important. So, uh, in essence, the transaction I described before that we did in October is the foundation of the utility of the rivets token. What the u- The token is used for really two fundamental purposes, both as an economic model for the system as well as for an operational model. And on the operational model, so the economic model kind of everybody understands. It can store value and that value can be used in a variety of ways. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But, But on an operational basis, we use the token very specifically to operate the chain that stores the evidentiary proof that these cybersecurity controls are actually used as part of a transaction. And so imagine, forget a Bitcoin transaction, let's just assume we're using two-factor authentication. So I'm gonna just log you in with a TEE-based two-factor authenticator, kind of like your Google authenticator, except running properly and securely in your handset. And I wanna test that the two-factor authenticator is actually running within the TEE the trusted execution environment. So we use the token as the mechanism that does that transaction to assure the integrity um, that, that that event is stored. The second thing that we've done is that we have allowed the trusted execution environment as part of that execution of a transaction to also embody external controls. 
a simple, so go to a server and ask a server a question like, am I in a good condition? So you could go from one end of the spectrum to the other. Let's assume the server knows how to talk to, you know, IBM Watson and ask, you know, is the global corporate ecosystem in a green light condition today? If so, let them have his two-factor authentication. All the way to, um, you know, check in the database and see if the user is reported his phone stolen and therefore don't give him his two-factor authenticator because he just five minutes ago reported his phone missing. Um, so we can bind external controls by having the trust agent reach out, do a verified transaction that its integrity is in good shape, that the external controls are what you expect them to be, and incorporate that into the decision process as to whether or not to release the external two-factor authenticator or access for that user to your Gmail account. Let me see if I can, if I can kind of reword that here in a moment okay, so I can basically, I want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly. The purpose mm -hmm. of doing a transaction on the Rivet blockchain using the Rivet token is basically to say that this transaction or this kind of execution in a trusted environment is in good health. So go ahead and do it. So it's an attestation for doing a transaction somewhere else. Correct. And and in the script of the chain operation is where we do the comparison of reference equals real time. So we're doing what's called in the industry standards is known as a trusted network connect style transaction. But instead of doing it at a network switch, we're doing it at a blockchain node. And so now I can have an and, and the beauty of that is when that transaction executes, creates a record to the blockchain. And so I have an evidentiary proof on the blockchain that the reference condition equaled real time at that moment in time. Now we might not want to do that for every single authentication. You might want to do that um, and, you know, approve the next 20 transactions as long as they're done within the next 24 hours. Um, there are a lot of different ways to improve efficiency because blockchains from a performance perspective can be an issue. And so we'll continue to kind of press down the model of the different um, the different blockchains. I think that some of the enterprise accounts will want to have more of a um, permission chain model, like what's going on with Hyperledger and Sawtooth Lake, as opposed to as an individual consumer, I want to prove my cybersecurity controls. So, you know, who needs this? Anybody who's a U.S. defense contractor has a requirement by December 31st, 2017, to have provable controls in place. So if you're a single person, you know, as a defense consultant, how are you going to do that? Like, can you prove that you have data rest on your devices? You can't. These are the tools that allow you to create those kinds of cybersecurity proofs. So from a compliance perspective, whether it's access to healthcare records or, you know, your government contractor or you know, you need for compliance for certain services, you want proof that those controls are in place, this is how those controls can be can be delivered. You're really going after a very large market here. And this is not, this, this, you, you found a problem and it's a severe problem, especially as this technology grows and grows and grows and potentially becomes ubiquitous. It, and, and, I, and I will just tell you, I'm not new to this. I, you know, ran a company for 15 years doing this based on the PC side, and it was just too early in the marketplace. So we think the market's finally maturing into this. But I have 15 years and the better part of a few hundred million dollars worth of R&D behind this um, that we're trying to, you know, we've discovered a new economic model. I think one of the great problems with trusted computing has been the economic model. 
So what's the microtransaction model for subscriber-based cybersecurity controls where the owner is in charge? And what you're trying to do is create an evidentiary proof. So I also think, you know, as, as you think about the role of the token, there's the short term, which is cybersecurity controls and what we've just been talking about. But as I look at all these other ICOs that are out there, um, there are quite a few that are articulating that they have plans for microtransactions or even automatic transactions from devices like VPN services and storage services and, and digital rights management services and privacy services and all sorts of things like that. And, and I can't imagine that everybody who uses those is going to haul out their treasure every time they want to say yes and push the button. Hmm. Okay. And so they're going to want software on the device that does that. But software in the device that has a stored value in keys, all those keys are going to get stolen. And so we actually think there's a real role in the long term for rivets to provide um, machine money, money that the device can automatically spend, but under policy controls and rules that are established by the owner. Because in essence, the trusted execution environment looks kind of like a smart contract in the device. Obviously, it's got a different control model. Mm -hmm. um, but we can wrap policy around any key. So I can say, oh, you can only use this key to this service, you know, once a week and you can only spend a dollar. And so it becomes much harder for, you know, a bot or a piece of malware to come along and say, hey, give me all your money. Not only that, it's the execution of that of that kind of service or software kind of around how you use that money is also put into a trusted execution environment. That's right. And so what happens, so we actually think there's a real role for um, machine money with policy. And, and that's certainly a, a sort of clear, bright light out in the future. We can, you know, we can see the end of the tunnel on that, but there's a lot of work to go between now and, and making that happen. And, and we see cybersecurity, things like two-factor authentication with cybersecurity controls as an entry point into the market. But at the end, yeah, I'd like to be the allowance on everybody's machine under the control of the owner, protected by trusted execution. And, and I think certainly rivets will have a shot at being a portion of that supply. Will we be the only one? Probably not. Um, will be, we be one of the players? Most likely. I really enjoy this. It's like I, I've, I've read a lot of, of people trying to sell ICOs or the problems associated with what their platform is trying to do. And it seems as though they're trying to match, make up a, a solution, make up a problem for a solution that they, that they found. This is definitely not the case. It seems as though like this problem is real. It's been around for a long time. And it's not until maybe recently that we've been mature enough to be able to marry these things together to form a real product. And that's what I guess Rivets is attempting to do. Yeah, I've just been the idiot that's been trying to do this forever. So, um, <laughs> well, you in, have the, you 90, have the domain expertise 90, now. In 1996, we had stored value on a hardware-based security device and we could sell you a bullet in Doom at one ten thousandth of a cent a bullet. And so the game became consumption of ammunition. It was fantastically good fun, but but we hacked up the open source version of Doom so we could play and and we had these little metering devices built into um, what were going to be SB sixteen sound blaster cards, oh, wow. and and we could we could play Doom where the economic model was dad paid for ammunition. It was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it makes you feel but any it was better. a little. It was a little teeny tiny bit before it's time, shall we say? A little say. bit. Uh, like I think I don't know who I heard this from, but I say it often is that like it's an expert isn't somebody who knows how to do everything. 
an expert is someone who knows what not to do faster than everyone else. And, and in your case, the, dom the domain expertise and stuff like this really tells you like how to not do things or what you need to kind of what problems you need to overcome quickly that no one else understands, which is what kind of makes I guess leaders in the field leaders. Yeah, I, I think that for us, the, the really important um, lesson that's been learned is that um, if you look at the global marketplace today on a networking basis, services are delivered by ports and passwords. Mm -hmm. That's that's how enterprise computing has worked. And it's how all of our most of our mobile apps work. You know, we log in um, and and really the shift to mobile and the shift to IoT is a shift from a ports and passwords delivering service the services being delivered based on the identity of the device. And I view the difference between mobile and IoT is that mobile is a connections-based model. So I call you and our device identities connect each other. Um, and, and in IoT, it's a messaging-based protocol. So our things are friends with each other and they chat. And, and, and there is no network the network is a transport layer. It's not a network security layer. So there's a distributed security model that has to take place either in the device or in the service. It does not take place in the network. I see. And there's, there's no three-way the handshake going on here. Yeah, that's the piece that's incredibly confusing. Okay, that's been that's, that's pretty fascinating. I'll have to kind of wrap my head around the idea or implications of that because all as all these things grow, the emergent behavior around them is is something that's I guess if you can figure that out, you can figure kind of a lot of where things may be going. And changing those concepts from one to the other is very is kind of difficult based on what you just said. Yeah, I think we have to be patient with it, but I think blockchain will play an incredibly important role in helping everybody from the consumer managing their hundred devices to the enterprise managing their millions of devices, that how do I register them? What's their supply chain integrity? Are they really one of mine? What happens if I sell one? Um, how do I control them? How do I turn them on and off? All those kinds of things. Blockchain is so fantastically good at. And what Trusted Execution does is it provides the client-side control model. And so you mix those two pieces together, and I think you really get a, um, a really interesting future. We are at the very earliest stages. So, you know, we're showing how to make those pieces work. We have a team that has core expertise, has written the standards, um, has participated in this for, you know, a decade and a half. So we know a ton about trust computing, and, and we're working to learn as much as we can about how this affects the global blockchain infrastructure and how we can impact that. All right, Steve. Uh, so I kind of losing losing you in terms of the quality of your mic there, but I think that's a great way to kind of wrap this interview up in terms of what we discussed. Um, and I guess I got one more question for you, which is what we ask everyone. In ten words or less, can you describe blockchain? Uh, blockchain is the ability for the internet to store a fact. All right, and I, I always I always kind of like to follow this up. Is there something that I didn't get a chance to ask you that you'd like to kind of talk about or discuss? No, I think you. I, th I think we covered the topic really broadly. I think the ICO space is an incredible opportunity for a new business model for um, how software and services are built by a community and not just built by a single company. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Um, all right, Stephen. Thanks for coming on the show, and I hope to kind of bring you back on and see how things are going as you progress. How can uh, anytime? Always how can happy to reach out before you leave. 
Thank you. All right. Hey, before you leave, how can people reach out to you? Oh, uh, so you can always reach me. I'm um, Stephen, spelled with a V, at rivets.com, R-I-V-E-T-Z.com. All right. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. And that was the interview with Mr. Stephen Sprague from Rivets. Um, hope you enjoyed it. We we did. Corey did so much he went out and snagged some of their token. I also snagged some of their tizoken. Um, I have a referral. Corey, should we put our referral links in the show notes? Because they do a really neat thing with their token launches where they do the referral link. That's all token market. Token market does that because they're handling the ICO. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, man. On to the new stuff. So I mean, I'll put it in there. If you want to buy some, buy some. Use that referral link. Yeah. Sure. Throw me some extra. I'm, I'm not going to not have you do that. <laughs> you put yours in there. You're the one that did the interview. I'm cool with the amount of token that I bought. Um, so, Cello, you, you desperately want to know why I think you're weird. Is this where you play the outro music and I never find out? Play the outro. No, I'm kidding. Um, this is why. Because, all right, so when you first got into Bitcoin, you never got into Bitcoin. You just got into the idea that I had about Bitcoin. Making right? money. So you didn't really buy a Bitcoin. You didn't really own that much Bitcoin. You did help me mine, but then you ended up selling me back all the Litecoin that we mined. So it's like you believe in something, but don't believe in it at the same time. And then so you'll profess, you're like always like, I don't give a damn about any of this shit. I'm just trying to make money. And it's like, wow, I really appreciate the uh, certainty of this man's uh, fortitude. It is certain that he just wants to make money. But then we get in these discussions, these very technical discussions in the Slack, and you add in like some of the most intense, complex arguments Arguments of a person who actually is interested in the space and does do research on this stuff. So which one is it? Are you just trying to make money? Or are you are you genuinely interested in this stuff? I can't be both. I don't know. Can you? Yeah, I'm both. I mean See Corey I is in it and you guys make a lot of money. You guys don't even talk about your portfolio at all. That's our business. Spoiler, no, spoiler alert, they're rich. I just like talking about it. I'm I'm, I'm not, transparent about it. I'm you not guys rich. are in it. Not you rich. guys are you guys are you're doing all right. Yeah, but that's like that's not the reason why I'm in it. Like I'm not in this space to get rich off of crypto. That's like I mean, my underlying motivation is not to get rich. If that's a byproduct of me pursuing this passion I have cool that's awesome that's like the american dream right i mean but that's like saying like you know if i interviewed the ceo of amazon he's like I w- i'm not here to get rich i'm here to run an efficient business yeah okay but you're rich well efficient business is making money so like that's right but like i it comes with it. i want to be a part of what all of this is creating in order to do that i need to research how it works what drives it what its problems are and in the process of of like poking and prodding at all the product like problems, efficiencies, things that it's solving, things that it's not solving, things that it can and can't solve, you end up understanding where it could potentially go and the implications of that in terms of businesses and so on and so forth. 
And so when you see when you see fruit, you pick it. It's just it's that's just me yeah. making money off the space as a byproduct of me studying it so hard. That's the smartest thing you've ever said, and you have a PhD. When you see fruit, when you see fruit, pick it. I think that's I, – I cannot be an early adopter, start a Bitcoin podcast, be surrounded by two really smart guys, and not get rich off the space. It's just a, like Corey said, it's a byproduct. And also what Corey said in the last episode, he said that his patience has increased tremendously since being in the space, and so have I. I was like, oh, Bitcoin's never going to reach over 400. Sell. Now it's like <laughs> I can I can hold for a couple years because my patience has grown tremendously since we've done this podcast. Yeah. It's also, it, it definitely the, does. Go ahead, Chuck. D. I was going to say it, it changes the way that you view wealth and time. Like, I can't believe we've been running the show for three years, right? But it has been that long. But the patience level with dealing with all of it, it's increased because of this space is like everything happens such a rapid rate. You just got to take a deep breath, sit back, let everything kind of play out the way it's going to play out. And it stuff has increased my patience. Like it's going out of style. So it's well, like the, the flip side of that patience, I think really comes into play when the price drops and like something happens, the price drops quite a bit. And most people are like, sell, my God, something's wrong. But because we've been interviewing people and studying these things and trying to like really figure out the changes it's making, and we understand its underlying utility and how nascent it is and that it's potential of doing things in the future. Like, so what? If the price dropped, it'll be fine later on. Like, yeah. I don't I don't get panicked at price fluctuations in either way much anymore like i've stopped looking at the prices until like my wife's like hey did you see the price oh shit how about that like but it's did she say that while she's wearing while she's got a brand new gucci bag i we ain't bought nothing <laughs> with our crypto we, we oh, buy like okay like i use my crypto for like i don't know jimmy john's like that's pretty much it's like my it's like my extraneous lunch budget because aaron doesn't want me to be buying lunches that would be really funny she was like, "Hey, hey, did you notice the price went up?" As she's wearing like a Louis Vuitton, uh, something new. Like Louis each Vuitton time, like each time she says it, she's got some new ridiculous piece of like expensive gear yeah. on. Or no, actually, Aaron's not that type. Aaron's the type that would have like two thousand dollars worth of crocheting materials. Oh, while Jesus. she said that, you have no idea. She would say like, "Hey, Corey, did you realize the price went up over the weekend?" There is no place to like, put things. Yeah in this house because yeah. there's so much yarn just yarn everywhere i'm looking Crochet at a, i'm looking at life. five bags of yarn next to my desk yeah oh by the way audience if you like crochet um to check out Corey's wife's work she does really cool shit she makes like bikinis like makes everything like shawls makes it all like yeah sweethoneycrochet.com except for those damn Bitcoin drinking gloves that I keep telling her to farm and she no, won't farm. she's got them. She's got them. I'm looking at a, few, a pair of them right now. <gasps> really? Oh, man. I, I really hope she makes a bunch and then like, plans to. people in our audience can Gotta buy be appropriate those, like, for the for the, for the the time of the year. So she's perfecting the pattern so she can crank them out. Bitcoin drinking gloves coming at you guys. All yeah. right. Let's get out of here. It's been long. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So stop on over to Bandai Namco your copy of Tekken 7 
Um, it'd be funny if people actually try to do that. And they're like, no. We what the hell is you talking about? What's the Bitcoin <laughs> podcast? Um, anyways, uh, what do we usually say at the end of a show? Oh, yeah. Go to <laughs> at the BTC podcast. <laughs> it's our Twitter. Uh, Cello will tweet at you. But mostly we just tweet celebrities because pff, mess with no plebs. No, I'm kidding. We tweet everybody. We're nice guys. Uh, Corey writes blogs. Um, you can check him out on Medium. If you go, I still to, haven't finished that other one. I'll get to it. Yeah, writing is tough, man. I, I'm starting to really appreciate writers and what they're for. Like, I look at uh, what's her name, the Harry Potter chick, Hermione. And, no, no, no. She's different. That's not. I don't look at her the same way I look at the author oh. of Harry Potter. Who's the author of Harry? I don't know. Is it Tolkien? No. It's Rawlings. Lord of the Rings. J.K. Rawlings. J.K. Rawlings. Yeah. Um. It just takes an it takes an immense amount of self discipline to sit down, and write a book. Well, you don't like, do it, it all just, in one shot. A lot of dead signs there, guys. Blew my mind, Cello, with that one. <laughs> I'm going to write Harry Potter. Put on a pot of coffee. Dude, I know they don't write it all at one time. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> it, still, it still takes time. It still takes... Like, think about it, right? How many... We're still trying to finish our little book. Remember? That's a, that's like, a product of laziness. That's not a product of... That's what I'm saying. Like the self-discipline to write a book is immense. It it takes so while I'm on this, a member a member of our Slack, Elias, he's trying to write a book right now. And Elias, if you're listening to this, turn this shit off and go write your book. He already said he's leaving the Slack for like four months so he can go write his book. Yeah, but he said that four days ago and he's been no, on he the Slack he, he every said day. He's, he's leaving at the end of the month. Oh, okay. The cool. Slack will bring him back in though. It's so good. Oh yeah. He, it's, it's it's like crack. It you can't stay away. Slack's got your back, Elias. If you pop into this Slack in September, I'm going to ban you. I'm going to ban you. actually converted account. a troll in the process of Slack. Yeah, we, have a, we have a very <laughs> powerful community. Don't try to set any, don't try to advertise anything in our community. That's for sure. Holy, yeah. holy hell. Yeah, you'll get, you'll get, get jumped on real quick. Yeah. Hold on. If Not you by need us. A product by... Vetted, just try to come <laughs> to our Slack and post a link about your product. And never heard the term a, yeah. shit nickels said so many yeah. times in such little like in such little <laughs> time span. That's a funny story. All right, then we'll cut it. Is that somebody tried to cover our Slack and and uh, promote a ICO and somebody else in our Slack said, "Get your shit nickels out of here." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, I was, I was like, wow, that's that's good, classic shit nickels." Um. Anyways, uh, what else do we do? Cello, you want me to give the people your PlayStation Network tag? Uh, I don't know if I'm gonna get Destiny two yet. Right now, I still play single player RPGs. So, Corey, you want me to give the people your uh Dota screen name? Sure, Sans Ruth. Oh, Corey, I read a new story that AI just beat a Dota 2 player in a competition. That's all that. That's, isn't Elon Musk's AI? Yeah. 
What is he trying to prove? Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked into it. That AI is a problem. That was, that was like a weekend project for him, I guess. I don't know. How does he have time for uh, all these things? I don't think yeah, he does. I think, I think he's starting to do a really poor job of saying anybody else helps him, which is getting on my nerves. Oh, no. He, he asked the people who work for him. They love him. Uh, well, I just read an article. There's a mass exodus from the autopilot division of Tesla. I'm just saying, like, I don't think enough leaders out the people that are supporting them and the people that are probably actually having the great ideas. Anyways, shit, we got to go. Shout out to Zoe Saldana. Uh, shout out to Luigi, uh, the most underappreciated Mario brother. Um, and uh, shout out to Bandai. All right. Bye.